Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 36, Progressive Web Apps. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? Yeah, Matt. Uh, so this week has been, again, a lot of contract work, uh, doing actually a lot of research into Progressive Web Apps, which is our topic for the day and kind of the reason that we decided to do Progressive Web Apps, since might as well put that research to good use for you fine folks. Um so yeah, essentially just building a progressive web app uh, for a client, working very closely with the client, working a lot with uh, other vendors and stuff like that. It's It's been a pretty busy week uh, on that front, doing a little bit of Instagram here and there. And then I also took a little mini vacation, went to Toronto, uh, went to a Muse concert. They were awesome and just kind of relax with uh, my wife for a bit so it was a nice nice little weekend uh but that's about it what about you matt uh so this week uh this week I, well i was out last week and i was out uh i'm kind of like i'm not out now but i'm like still dealing with a bunch of family stuff that's going on right now uh unfortunately but luckily mike was there to cover me uh for the last episode and for a bunch of work tasks so right now i'm kind of i'm starting to spin back up and hopefully we'll be at full capacity uh, later this week or, or next week, but I am, uh, working on the daily again now. And, uh, right now I think I'm kind of still in that, I don't really know what you'd call it, but it's like that weird phase where I'm just, I'm not completing any like project. If that makes sense. I'm just kind of doing the catch up game of like, I got to email this guy. I got to call that guy. I got to do this. So I'm just kind of like, like ticking off little tasks. And then hopefully like maybe by the end of this week, I'm going to start like actually digging in on a couple of projects. Cause there's a couple of things that I had to postpone due to this family stuff. So that that's been my week. Uh, and right. Uh, so what we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be talking about just as the title suggests progressive web apps. Now we've talked about progressive web apps on the show before, especially during our coding challenge uh, episode slash episodes during that kind of period. And uh, this week, we're, Mike's been deep diving into it, and I've been doing some service worker stuff before I had to leave. Uh, so this is kind of going to be a bit more of a more advanced episode, if you will, kind of going over what we've learned and uh, kind of going over the basics and that type of thing. So segment number one, I'm going to go through these segments like I always do. Segment number one is uh, what is a PWA? Uh, segment number two is make your web app a PWA. Segment number three is the state of PWAs and web news this week. Of course, the recurring segment, flagship smartphone UX or user experience. So let's dive right in here. I'm going to jump into the first segment. What is a PWA? So as mentioned on the show a few times before, like I said, PWA stands for Progressive Web App, uh, which is essentially the evolution of the standard web app. So if you're new to all this, I'm going to do kind of a little simple breakdown. Now, some people are going to um, maybe argue with me about some of these classifications, but this is generally what you need to know. So we have three classifications here. We have uh, a website, right? Then we have the web app. And then, of course, the focus of this episode, the Progressive Web App. So essentially what this is, is a website is more or less like it's probably the most basic or at least a more basic presence on the web and it delivers content uh, to a visitor. So things like, you know, let's say a blog post or a news article and 
based on that, really simply, uh, some popular examples would be news websites, of course, some tech blogs, say like The Verge or something like that, um, marketing websites. So when uh, a startup is starting out, so oftentimes they'll have sort of a, a website where people can just sort of see like, hey, look, we're making this project. Here's our Kickstarter. Here's whatever. That, that, that's sort of what I mean by a marketing website. And that's just direct information right to the viewer. Um, as well as a lot of small business sites. So that's sort of what I do a lot, a lot of the time on the daily. And a lot of that is, you know, this guy has a car wash and he wants a website to make sure people can find his phone number online or whatever. So a lot of small business sites uh, operate in this manner. And kind of the next evolution of this, if you will, or like a real big functional jump is a, is a web app. So this functions similarly to a website. However, it acts more like an app that you'd see on your phone that actually performs some sort of function. And so for example, there are online image editors where you can upload your photo and edit it right in the browser. So that photo editor is actually a web app because the user interacts with it. And you know, some computing happens, you know, you're changing the colors, you're doing those photo edits and then content you know, and content in this case isn't really being delivered in the same way as it would be if you were reading a written article or getting that marketing information, stuff like that. So unlike apps, though, that run on your phone, like a native installed app, web apps are limited by the browser's limitations, meaning that they meaning that they um, can't be natively installed and they generally don't have access to certain functions that natively installed apps can take advantage of. And this is usually due to permissions and security on a given device. And it does vary by browser, by device, et cetera, et cetera. So just kind of like a general thing. So if you're a developer and you're developing web apps and you, you, you probably already know that when you go and look, you're like, oh, I can't access this, this webcam or something like that. It might be because that particular device doesn't let you. So that's kind of one of the minefields of developing a web app. Now, the next evolution, like I said, is the progressive web app. So obviously the focus of this week's episode. So PWAs are the natural evolution of the standard web app. And arguably the biggest feature of a PWA or the biggest feature ad is the ability for them to run offline. And that's, that's through the usage of service workers. So basically, they're a web app. Um, basically, a, a PWA is a web app that runs in the browser just like any other. However, they can be installed and start leveraging more of those, you know, sort of native features that an that a let's say a standard Android app could. And they're still limited by the same restraints that you that you might see in other WebView apps uh, because they still run the same code base as their web app counterparts. So. Generally speaking, let's say a web app is made in, you know, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, let's say. Well, when you, if, if it's a PWA version of that web app and you install it, it's not going to suddenly change to, you know, the native Java, like if you installed it on Android, it's not going to suddenly change code bases. It's still going to be HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So you have, you're limited in that way. In addition, there isn't really a centralized location um, like the apps found in the uh, Google Play Store, for example. So generally, you have to go to the website, uh, to the actual web apps website, and then kind of download it from there. Uh, a big example, and I think we've mentioned this on the show before, is if you visit the Twitter web app from your Chrome browser on Android, uh, you'll see an add to home screen button. Uh, and if you do, um, you're installing the Twitter PWA. However, if you were to go in, go into the uh, Google Play Store and type in Twitter, and install like the official app that's actually a native app and it's different from the pwa so they're not the same just a little bit of a compare and contrast there um so basically pwas are getting more and more powerful however like i mentioned a lot of limitations there but a lot of them are kind of going away a lot of these walled off features like i said are being broken down so just a few short years ago for example you couldn't really get push notifications from your browser but now they're really commonplace and they can be used for things like a chat app or maybe some news sites etc etc 
Also, accessing hardware uh, was was an issue years ago. So getting access to things like a webcam or maybe something like a microphone. But now you can use like a chat app, for example, just like Skype right in the browser. You can do video chat with your webcam. You can do voice chat with your microphone, et cetera, et cetera. And generally speaking, there's not really any problems as long as you as long as the user gives permission for these things. Um, so these limitations are really quickly being done away with. However, there are things. So most notably in my brain is, is NFC. So last time I checked, NFC was still inaccessible by PWAs. Um, and there's a few other smaller things as well. I think, I think Bluetooth might be one of them and stuff like that, but these rules are kind of always changing all the time. So if you're in this field and you're looking to make a PWA, always, you know, kind of check, um, check what, what the status of these features are and kind of check like whether or not the particular platform you're releasing on is allowing certain new things. Cause this stuff does change, uh, quite rapidly. And in terms of uh, accessing a PWA, as I mentioned before, there is not a centralized location. So on Android, generally speaking, the Google Play Store houses, you know, the vast majority of available native apps. You know, there's a few notable exceptions like Fortnite, for example, is not in the, in the Google Play Store. But PWAs are generally uh, downloaded, they're still downloaded from the web app's website. So however, um, even though this limitation is uh, starting to change, um, so basically what's happened is the Microsoft Store and the uh, Google Google Play Store as well has kind of started introducing ways for developers to submit uh progressive web apps into in so that they can be put into the centralized location. This kind of stuff is kind of new and it's kind of in its infancy and a lot of places already have like a native uh, a native app already if they've needed it. So this kind of stuff is just sort of just starting to kind of roll out. Um but it's something definitely exciting to see especially if you're a progressive web app developer. And so with these restrictions breaking down, the main limitation is really with the code base. So since a PWA isn't written in the native language of a given platform, but rather runs more like a website or a web app, um, generally JavaScript is the thing that comes with it. And JavaScript does come with some limitations, and namely that it is a single threaded process. Um, however, just like with anything, there's workarounds for this and JavaScript itself is becoming more user-friendly and more functional with every release, just like how PWAs are going. So basically what I'm trying to get at here is that PWAs and all the surrounding technologies are really kind of constantly progressing. And that's like a really good thing to see, especially if you're a developer in this space. And from, uh, from my experience, uh, iOS has quote unquote, kind of like less adopted PWAs as of right now. Um, however, I can personally see that limitation being lifted at some point, uh, in my opinion. So for example, if you go to the no BS news for Reddit demo site that we have set up right now, uh, if you do that on an Android phone and in, in Chrome on the Android phone, you'll be prompted with a, you know, add to home screen and that's essentially installing it. But if you do it on an iOS device, you can absolutely use the app, but you won't get that prompt and you won't be able to uh, kind of get any sort of that like additional functionality on there. Um, another thing, uh, another thing to keep in mind is that a lot of corporations will actually have strict policies, um, on what they support. So for example, some places may say that a certain browser's usage worldwide, if a certain browser's usage worldwide is more than let's say 2%, then that browser must be supported. And and this starts to create a problem because oftentimes, uh, that thing that has like 2% usage or around there is an older version of, of a browser or something like internet Explorer. And since PWAs are, you know, really new, really new on the scene there will be severe limitations on what a developer can do um, if he needs the features to work on such old software. So that's kind of another reason why we're not really seeing a massive influx of PWAs all of a sudden because you know there still is that sort of legacy stuff that still needs to be supported. 
Um, so kind of in conclusion, a PWA is the evolution of a standard web app. Like I said, it runs in the browser, just like any other website or web app, but it has additional features like that offline functionality, like I mentioned, or the ability to be installed specifically on an Android phone in our experience. Um, PWAs are also quickly approaching the functionality of a standard native app, which is good news for small developer teams because, you know, maybe they have a web app done and they don't have time to do one of the, do a, another set of uh, native apps or another set of apps, one for iOS and one for Android. They could, you know, more or less, if they can get away with it, they can just do a, uh, do a PWA. The real question is whether PWAs will take over native apps or will they just be another option for developers down the road? That's kind of where it sits right now. It's quickly evolving, but is it going to go anywhere? Just kind of like any new technology when it hits the scene, you know, when smartphones first came out, oh, who's going to want a smartphone? Or who who's going to want a tablet? And then boom, you know, you have a big market and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Or maybe it'll fail. Who knows? So that's kind of where it sits right now. It's just sort of kind of in a uh, new limbo, if you will. But um, in the show notes here, I did I did grab a couple of or I did read a couple of resources, and uh, they're basically a compare and contrast of PWA functionality versus native app functionality, uh, and talking about some of the limitations in PWAs and that type of stuff. And those links uh, will be in the show notes for you guys to read if you so care to do so. Now, that ends my segment. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Mike if he'd like to add any comment or move on. All right. So uh, I don't think I have any comment on that just because I'll be mostly addressing a lot of the things that you talked about, Matt, uh, during my segments, but in a little bit more detail or from a little bit different point of view. Um, So let's move on. Uh, Segment two, make your web app a PWA. So essentially, it's actually quite a simple process, uh, especially if your application doesn't make any external API calls. Uh, There's very simple and easy, easy, easy code out there that you can kind of copy paste and create a PWA with. So what you need first is a manifest JSON file. Uh, and then in this manifest JSON file, you'll have like your the name of your application, the short name of your application, uh, locations for your icons, stuff like that. Very simple manifest file. Uh, I believe it will be expanded a little bit in the future to include a little bit more detail uh, in more like of an app store functionality detail. So you can have like, you know, demo images and stuff like that. Um, but for, for now, it's it's a simple JSON file that you kind of have to create. You can get a pre-created one. Uh, you can Google it on the web. There's there's plenty of resources out there that uh, help you create those JSON files for PWAs. Um, and I'll actually I'll link one in the show notes as well, the one that that I used once. Uh, so the next thing you kind of need you you absolutely need actually is your for your application for your website to be served at, on an HTTPS secure uh, secure site. Uh, so. With, with that, it kind of tells the browser if you have that JSON file, if you have the HTTPS, and then the last thing, if you have a basic service worker, as long as it's laid out the way that they need it to be laid out, if you have a service worker, those three things, your the website, the browser will be able to detect that it is a PWA and use that functionality as needed. Um, so that's, a sen- that's essentially the very basic concept of the PWA. So you need, again... Uh, JSON file, super simple, the HTTPS. And then the thing that is a little bit more complicated is the service worker. So that's where the power of the, of the PWA comes in. And that's where all this functionality that Matt talked about a little bit and uh, that we'll talk about later, it comes out of. So the ability to cache your files onto a local cache kind of system 
uh, onto the hard drive instead of having to use the network comes from a service worker. So service worker allows you to be able to cache the server, cache the server files. It also allows you to not only cache server files like your HTML, JS, CSS, and images. It will also allow you to cache external API calls, which is like a, a big portion of it. So if you're if you're doing an external API call for all of your content, maybe for your for a server that you're running somewhere else. Uh, and you need, and that, that stuff is needed for the application to function in an offline state or in a quicker state, like a more native state, then you can actually program it in to the, to the service worker, that functionality and what it'll do. And you can set up kind of a, uh, a system where should you run on network first? Should you run on cache first? There, there's many options, but essentially what the, based on what you set up in that uh, service worker setup, uh, it will ping instead of pinging the network every time it'll just use your cache server api calls every time greatly increasing the speed of loading of your application Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the state of the pwas which is the next segment uh so and there's other things that the service worker can can kind of do uh it can also detect changes of your apis so you know every time it'll serve from cache but then if it if it sees there's a change in the api call uh, it will take that and cache it for the next time you run the application. And you can change this behavior as you like it. Um, and there are a few caveats to this. Again, we'll talk about that in, in the next segment. But essentially, what, what you need to know is that there's a certain messaging functionality that the PWA can do to your local application where you can kind of, you know, prompt the user that there's a new update available, please, please reload, stuff like that. Um, and just to be talk about a, a specific framework that I've been using recently, which is Vue.js, uh, it's really simple if you're using a Vue.js kind of framework to add PWA functionality. So there's Vue.js has a Vue CLI built in and command line interface, uh, which will allow you to actually create an application with PWA functionality already built. So that means that it already has that JSON file that I was talking about, the manifest file. It already has the service worker, like a basic service worker built out that actually already caches all of your CSS, JavaScript, HTML, and image files. Uh, so right off the bat, you don't have to worry about that. And it has um, all your icons and stuff, icon formats and stuff that you need. Of course, they're generic icons, so you'll have to go in and replace that. Uh, but essentially, it gives you a very easy structure, and you don't have to do anything other than you know put your site into an HTTPS uh, server and make sure that it's all secured and all that. All you, that's all you'll have to do with that already Vue.jsified application. Very, really quick to start up. Really love the uh, the Vue CLI and Vue.js in general for that. Um, now, the PWA landscape is always changing and evolving. So features are constantly being worked on and usually added from browser to browser. So it's kind of, it, like Matt said, it's important when you're, if you're listening to this in the future sometime to go in and look at where the current landscape of PWAs are because nothing's been kind of fully finalized yet. There are some features like service workers are kind of, uh, they have to be there. So that's, I would say, pretty much finalized. Uh, but how the service worker works, what features are available on what operating system, all that's constantly changing. Uh, so it's very beneficial to go in and take a look for yourself uh, after listening to this uh, and see what features are neat, like what features can are supported, what features aren't on each and every single browser. Um, a big tip would be, you know, like if you're making an application and you have some 
certain features that you absolutely need, like camera functionality, or you absolutely need push notifications or something like that, make sure that before you start coding a PWA, that it supports those features. It seems like basic, basic, you know, logic, but uh, a lot of times you do overlook little things, especially. So make sure that it supports it before you start coding. Um, so with that, uh, I'll see, see if Matt has anything to add to this segment, or I'll move on to the next segment. Yeah, sure. So just, I don't remember that I did this in the last episode. It's been a couple weeks for me now, but basically just kind of like a a summary of what we did for what we did for no BS news for Reddit. So obviously um, we were trying to make that, or that was a PWA it, uh, in its most basic state, right, right at like launch or right at demo launch, if you will, at the end of the challenge. And that, that basically was a really basic rudimentary, it cached the local assets, like the stuff that was like right in the PWA. Uh, so the like the top bar and that type of stuff, but it didn't cache any of the stories because it's like obviously news. So it didn't cache any of that. So basically, uh, how how and what we've been doing is, um, Mike and I've been working on it together, where we've been working with that Vue.js plugin, um, for PWA to sort of make our own service worker because we were just using the sort of basic example that just caches, like I said, those those assets. And so so far, um, we've gotten Google Fonts. So we we're using Google Fonts. Uh, for our fonts so we got that to cache and that's been cached successfully uh it caches on second reload or something like that like i said i'm a little rusty right now um and the we've we got something else we got or we, we still have the the local assets to cache but we have one other thing uh we're having issues trying to get reddit itself like the the stories to actually cache it's acting up it's just not it's not giving us an error uh it's not crashing it's compiling just fine uh, and I'm doing it according to what we we understand, but it's just not caching that, which is very bizarre. Um, but what's good about this so far, the reason why I mentioned this is because, you know, Google fonts are a remote asset that we are caching. So that's good. The local stuff, you know, obviously a little bit easier to cache, but that is still working with the remote stuff working. So that's good. And the only thing that's left is like one remote API call, essentially. And that might be due to something in the code otherwise that I'm just not seeing. So... Hopefully we get that up and running uh, with that part, but that's just sort of like an update as to where we're at. And that's sort of what I'll be trying to, that, that'll be like kind of the first big project I try to tackle uh, when I'm kind of back at that hundred percent working uh, right now. So yeah, just a bit of an update there and you can uh, take it away, Mike. Yeah. So, and and that's a good point, actually. You, you, uh, you brought up how you're kind of post-launch we're finessing the service worker and that's something that a lot of you will do um uh, my suggestion is to kind of just get started with the pwa as fast as you can get something out there and then go in and kind of look and finesse the service worker because a pwa is not going to stop your application from working on an older browser if it detects that there's no pwa support it's just not going to give you the pwa functionality so as long as you're coding with that mentality in mind uh you know, your site will still be a website and that there's no big deal. So it's nice that it gives you kind of that extensibility, that ability to add features in the future uh, and finesse your service worker to to do the, the, the things the right way. So maybe from the start, you're going to be caching everything. But in the future, you're going to be like, well, I don't really need to cache A, a B and C. I, I only need to cache C, like B, E and D or whatever. Like you need to cache certain things, but not, not other things. So you'll go in and edit that uh, to relieve some load onto your users. So those kinds of things you can do post-launch 
uh, especially if you're doing kind of like a beta system uh, and especially if you're not doing too many API calls. So uh, just caching local files, again, is very simple, uh, especially with the frameworks that are provided for us. Um, but other than that, I'll, I'll move on and kind of talk about where the PWAs are currently. So segment three, state of PWAs. So currently, PWAs are supported on every single major browser uh, to some extent. There's different kinds of varying support. Chrome has the deepest integration and support for PWAs. So uh, for instance, Chrome has some really cool features and it's constantly evolving. One of those features uh, that I've just discovered recently actually is you can add a Chrome, like a, a PWA on your desktop as like almost a native application. So you can just go into, in Chrome, you can go into that three dot menu in the bot in the top right corner. If you if there's a PWA, there will be an install button there. It'll say install and then the name of the PWA. And when you click that, it'll ask you to add it to your desktop or add it to your applications. And that's it. It's just there. And after that, it runs as a kind of like a standalone application. Now, it's still using a Chrome service in the background. So if you look at your Windows, like your uh, your task manager, it'll just say Chrome. Um, but it is running a standalone kind of thing and it's it has no address bar and uh it uses a theming engine and stuff like that which is really cool like that's a that's a huge advantage obviously because uh it's it's kind of reminiscent of uh chrome apps i think one of the reasons that they canceled chrome apps for windows and mac os and all that is because they have this pwa functionality built in now uh because essentially that's what a pwa is it's a chrome app so if you can add it to the home screen and it could work offline those are the two major things right uh you've all of a sudden created a pretty much a native application that runs extremely fast because of the no network connection and stuff like that. Um, so huge, that's one of the things that Chrome does that maybe some other, the browsers haven't started yet. Uh, now, again, if you're listening to this in the future, some of the browsers might've caught up uh, and you can go ahead and check out those yourself. I, I know edge is supposed to catch up. I was listening uh, to a podcast recently with uh, one of the head developers of edge and they said that they were going to be implementing something like that uh, soon. So, um, and I'll actually link that podcast in the resources section of this segment. So, uh, another another great use case for a PWA. Like, so if you're thinking like, why would I ever build a PWA uh, for businesses? So, a business, a large business, when they have a lot of internal applications instead of creating internal applications in some sort of native language like ios or android or even windows they a pwa allows them to rapidly develop something uh so for instance maybe a company has a safety course that everyone has to take an internal safety course so get a web developer to quickly get a site together and PWA it. It's going to be a lot cheaper than getting a team of web of, of developers to do an iOS application or an Android application. And then you're kind of not locked in to any, to any one, one platform. Like if you make a PWA and your employee that's coming in has a iPhone, they can, you know, do it on their iPhone. If they have an Android, they can do it on their Android phone without you having to build two separate applications, without you having to even to deploy it to a, a, a store or anything like that. Um, another another advantage of doing an internal an internal application of a company like a, you know, a safety thing or anything else that you can think of that's an internal app, company application is you can preload those applications on a windows install so or or even a mac os install so it's it's another thing that's just not a, it's not just a website it's an actual app so you can run you know a script in there that will preload a bunch of different apps 
uh, onto your desk onto a new user's desktop and then they already have those apps as almost native apps that they can quickly access um, which is not something you can do with an iOS or an Android application currently um, so yeah definitely definitely a huge advantage like advantage I can see for rapid development internal for internal applications uh, there there's a few little things like I would not recommend a PWA if you have a heavy heavy multimedia, uh, influenced app. So if you're running like videos constantly, or if you're, uh, doing some sort of heavy processing in the background, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend a PWA in those kind of situations, but business logic, um, intake, outtake, like stuff like that, that's something that a PWA could really do, do extremely well. Um, and the, like, like Matt already mentioned, actually, you only need a small web, small development team to launch an application like this. Cause really, Allowing a small development team to create an application allows for something that's much quicker, cheaper, leaner, uh, and very agile in the sense that you can pivot very quickly. And it allows for really easy deployment as well. One of the one of the best things about a PWA is like you throw it, you know, onto a server and it's deployed right away. You don't have to go through the process of going through an app store and having to update the, you know, the, the app store manifest and all that. No, you don't have to do any of that. You just throw it on your server just like you would a website. Uh, and it's already updated for almost all of your users. Now there is some discrepancy with the updating process. It's not uh, it, you can you can control it to a certain point, but the default is it it'll update after like the second or third load. And there's also an indiscriminate amount of time that it takes for it to detect that there's an update. This is the default setting. Those settings are configurable, but like I'm just warning you ahead of time that uh, I would suggest looking into that if you need if you need updates to be rapid and consistent. Um, so. There are many, like with with all the positives being said, so I've laid out a bunch of positives of the state of PWAs. Uh, there are definitely some inconsistencies with PWAs and really that's focused mainly on iOS. Um, so in iOS, the most crucial features are supported, like so service workers are supported, uh, which is, you know, without that, you wouldn't be able to have a PWA, but st- very simple stuff that you would think would be supported aren't, isn't. So there's no background syncing available. That's one, another feature of PWAs. That's kind of cool is you're, uh, other than iOS, you're actually allowed to do some sort of background sync. So you can, you know, ping your server every once in a while and get new content for your, uh, for your application without a person actually having to open the application. So on iOS, that is not available. Uh, push notifications are not available yet. Again, this could change in the future. Uh, there's no app theming. So app theming is more just like the color of the status bar at the top. Uh, you, you don't have control over that on iOS. Uh, you do on Android, Windows and all that. Um, there's no prompt to install from the browser. Uh, so when you go into Safari on iOS, uh, it will not tell you that this is a PWA. Please install it. On Android, there will actually be a pop-up that comes up and will say that, do you want to add this to the home screen? You can click yes or no kind of thing. And that's it's great for letting your users know that this is a PWA. You can make your experience a little bit better if you just add it to the home screen. Uh, on iOS, that is not possible. Uh, they, would have, they have to go through a fairly simple process, but uh, there's no real way of telling the user that um, this is a PWA or not unless you explicitly you know, add a page into your application or a, or a internally coded pop-up that tells the user how to do it. It's essentially just going into the share menu and scrolling a little bit and adding to a home screen. That's all you have to do. It's very simple, but again, it's not as intuitive as an Android uh, installation. Um, 
And uh, the, the other thing is that n- none of the third-party browsers are supported for PWAs on iOS. So you can't on Chrome or Edge or uh, however many uh, Firefox, all the other browsers that are on that are in iOS, you can't use the PWA functionality in those browsers. So it has to be Safari. Um, the, the other thing is that there's minor discrepancies between the Safari renderer and the renderer for PWAs. So when you're running an application uh, on as a, as a website on Safari, and then you make, you create a PWA, there there might be some minor visual glitches that you've noticed because it renders stuff a little bit differently. Uh, it calculates stuff a little bit differently, which is a little bit weird to me. I don't know why they're not using the same renderer, but uh, essentially, what I would suggest in that in that case is to actually go in and do testing for both if you if you need to support both this the pwa and the website so make sure that it works on both uh kind of like you would do on two separate browsers uh don't expect the pwa on ios to be the same as the safari browser experience that's all i'm saying um and so recently that's been my my challenge uh we were, are working with a, a contract right now where we're creating a pwa uh for an in, internal use actually for a larger company and um, the, the biggest, actually, one of the bigger challenges during that whole process was getting consistent updates to work. So, you know, pushing an update to the server and then having the PWA pull it down. Uh, iOS doesn't allow messaging between between the application and the service worker as well as the Android side. So I can't use messaging like, uh, you know, on like detect update. It, it, it can't, it doesn't know when an update has come. On iOS, so what I what I had to do is, and I had to kind of hack a solution together. I'm not very happy with this, but uh, the Vue.js framework for PWAs is called Workbox. There's a option in there called Skip Waiting. I just set that to true. That kind of allowed for a a constant, like so every on every refresh, it'll pull a new cache, and uh, if it detects a network connection, it will pull that new cache, and you, you get the new update every time. Um, that took me a while to find out because there's not, again, PWAs aren't as widespread as they, as I, I guess they will be. It seems like they're going to a place where they're going to be extremely widespread, but right now there's not a ton and ton of documentation on them, especially in these little edge cases. Uh, but essentially, yeah, just know that when you're working with iOS, there is a significant, uh, there, there might be some hoops that you have to jump through to get all of the functionality you need to do, but uh, the one the one thing that I can say is that I was able to get around all most of that those problems and uh, all the critical ones for sure and to a point where the user experience is great on on iOS on iPads um, and it's definitely still really beneficial uh, to to use a PWA over just the standard website especially when you're talking about uh, places that have very sp- uh, spotty network connections like the PWA runs a thousand times better. Uh, than than the network connected application, that's for sure. Um, so thankfully, again, uh, most of the issues can be worked around, and you can get a really good experience uh, even on iOS. So PWAs, I think, are definitely going in the right direction. Uh, again, I said like, if you've ever used a Chrome app before, before they were discontinued for desktops for Windows, uh, they're very they're a very similar experience. So you can kind of, if you use a Chrome app, you understand how a PWA works. Coding them is a, is, a, is a slightly different experience because a lot more 
standard JavaScript uh, rather than using the Google Chrome uh, app APIs. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. The only thing, again, that is kind of a little bit more complicated is getting through that service worker construction and the communication between the service worker and the app. Um, and there's a lot of other little caveats. You can have multiple service workers and stuff like that, but I'm not going to get into that too, too much right now uh, because I haven't gotten into it myself. So uh, that that's it for kind of the state of PWAs. Uh, I, I've also linked a few resources in the show notes. Uh, again, just pretty much the Google Docs for it um, and stuff like that uh, and, and that uh, podcast that I was talking about. So I'm going to pass it off to Matt if he has any sort of comments on this kind of stuff or he wants to move on to web news. Uh, I think my only comment really is like I, I just th- this type, those type of caveats, like specifically the ones on uh, iOS – those type of caveats are just sort of things that will often plague newer technologies. And obviously this mm-hmm. is like a newer thing that's come out. The only thing I would say is, is like this type of stuff is also, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's the more cynical side, but this type of stuff is always the red flag for people saying like, Oh, this technology is not going to go anywhere because, and then they'll quote those, those particular caveats. So it's like interesting to know that there are some workarounds and that type of thing. Um, but it'll be super interesting to to see where this goes like i hope like i like i said earlier i hope ios does uh kind of go more the google route with pwas and i do believe that they're going to um but it's just a matter of time i guess for us just to see what they do and hopefully there's enough pressure on them to uh to get those features up and running yeah Um, uh, actually actually and just to add a little bit to that uh as i found out recently uh, apple was the first proponent of pwas so they were the first major player that said, like, let's do PWAs. I believe in even in, like, the first iPhone era, they were touting PWAs as being the future of the web. This is, like, what, eight, ten years ago now? Oh, wow. Yeah, so they were, they, they've they been talking about PWAs for a while. So it's, um, I mean, it's not strange that they're, they're lagging behind in support on everyone else because they're very concerned with allowing new functionality that they haven't vetted too much uh due to security concerns they're a very very security conscious company i'll give that to them like they very much value their user data and the trust that users have to them so i'm i'm not saying that's a bad thing like it's okay to go slow sometimes in these kind of cases but i hope like you said i hope they do go on par or even ahead of google at some point yeah like as long as it's i would say like it's as long as it's planned because i'm sure that apple to me kind of also has a thing where they don't want their users to be annoyed and as with any new technology like this like just like when the web took off there were pop-ups everywhere i think that they don't want to just open the floodgates and have these pwas not abide by the app store rules and then just have like you know people being flooded with notifications and then people getting mad at apple saying like what the hell i keep getting notifications from these things you know um you know they don't want people to exploit it so i think that that may also kind of play into it so we'll see. Uh and it'll be interesting it'll be interesting uh to see how they do it as well like whether they whether they maybe get on par with Google but they don't do it where Google, you know, you just click the add to home screen or whatever and that's essentially installing it. I wonder if they'll do no 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 you have to go through the App Store. And that would be interesting. That would be more of a, an Apple move, I think. But um I think we're going to move on to the web news cuz uh, it's a bit of a spicy one this week um and it's something that uh, hits close to home cuz I just got one UI um on my Samsung device. So this week's web news is flagship smartphone UX. 
And so the trend among smartphones for 2018, 2019 are they're very tall and generally they have an aspect ratio of something like two to one. Uh, they have a very high screen to body ratio, which means there's like no bezels and, you know, there's essentially no border around the screen. It's just all screen on the front. And as a result of that, you know, no bezel, they have notches or cutouts in the screen to accommodate for front facing cameras and sensors, you know, basically the, the components that can't be put underneath the screen. So these trends uh, create a major set of UX slash UI issues uh, that affect web developers, app developers, and and device manufacturers because they need to ensure that content is being rendered, you know, or is not being rendered right where a piece of the screen is missing. You know, you don't want your clock to be rendered where the the notch is at so you can't see it. And, and not to mention, you know, generally speaking, it's usually the device manufacturers that need to make some sort of elegant solution to allow the UI to, you know, quote unquote, avoid the notch or the cutout um, without annoying the user. So it can't be this awkward thing where things are wrapping around it or whatever. It has to be sort of an elegant solution. So in addition, uh, in recent years, vertical video uh, photos, so portrait photos and portrait apps have been on the rise because phones are generally easier to hold in the portrait orientation. And usually, you know, if you're taking an action shot of with your camera, you know, you're already ready with your phone in portrait because that's how you mostly use it. But since they've been getting taller and taller, meaning the devices, it's difficult for users to reach any of the UI elements at the top of the screen, especially with one hand. So things like the notification shade, maybe there's like a settings button up there, etc., etc. So we've seen manufacturers try and combat this with a, with a variation with various iterations um, of one-handed modes. So sometimes it'll be like the screen literally shrinks down into the into like the bottom right corner or the bottom left corner. Um, we also see UI redesigns that make UI elements favor the bottom of the screen. So that's another solution that they'll use. And also there's another thing uh, that's uh, a UX thing, but it also helps with the uh, with the one-handed uses, and that's gestures. So gestures are starting to take off. Um, they were big in BB on the BB10 days, the BlackBerry 10 days, um, but now they're starting to take off in the Android, on the Android side of things. And uh, I think on the iOS side iOS side as well with uh, the iPhone 10. So, and basically what these gestures do is they allow users to access the notification shade at the top just by swiping down anywhere on the home screen. And then there's other obviously uh, innovative gestures that different manufacturers or different launchers will uh, will implement to allow users to maybe quick launch an app or something along those lines. So from that information, uh, there are a couple of UX issues that stand out to me. And those include, so the notches and the cutouts are all different. So there's not just like, oh, you know, Android has a, a quarter inch notch and, and uh, you know, iOS has like a, a three millimeter notch or like whatever. No, there's no standard here. They, you know, notches are all different sizes. Same with cutouts. Like the cutout is sort of, at least as far as I, as far as I'm aware, it's unique to Samsung. Um, so there's like, there's a variety of different sizes and different parts of the screen are essentially missing on different devices. And so as a result of that, they all have to be handled differently by manufacturers, which is non-standard obviously everyone does it a little bit differently and then the bottom of the screen is getting very crowded with things like the new with the uh with the android navigation now a lot of people will hide it so you know like the the back home and the multitasking which is kind of being changed now with pi but in general that's still very popular and that that sort of navigation uh you can either hide but it, it's still down there right it's still something crowding the bottom um and then there's also there's also the the chrome bar so uh a few, I want to say, I want to say like a month, but I don't, I don't know whether I have my dates correct, but 
uh, Chrome updated so that it had, um, I forget what they call it now, but it has the, uh, it had like the bar at the bottom where it had like the search, share, the tabs at the bottom, and then the, uh, the Omni bar, so where you type in the URL, was at the top. And it was basically like you could, you have, they move, they're moving the stuff down to the bottom of the screen so it's easier for one-handed use. And then there was another update that came out shortly after that actually got rid of that. Um, I switched it back to the bottom bar thing with using some Chrome flags or something. I forget what exactly what I did or exactly which flag I set, but I did that because I liked it down there. But as you can kind of see, things are starting to get really crowded down there. So you have now essentially, I always have my, um, or I did until yesterday, I always had my navigation bar at the bottom, always up. So I had, you know, my home button and all that at the bottom. Then I have my Chrome bar. And then if a website which this is the trend now, if a website has the navigation at the bottom, I have like an inch of my screen at the bottom, just with a bunch of bars with a bunch of tools. So it's like, it's almost like the never ending toolbars that we used to see in the early two thousands from, you know, you'd go to your parents' PC or your grandparents' PC and they would have downloaded a million toolbars. So the whole like quarter of the top of their screen, is just filled with these, you know, useless toolbars for their browser, you know, for whatever, whatever they downloaded. So, we're kind of getting to that point where it's not like bloatware. It's just like there's so many system functions at the bottom. So that's to me, that's a pretty big UX problem. Um, and then gestures and UX workarounds. So a lot of these things are kind of like a working around the fact that it, it, that they're uh, that the devices are taller and that type of thing. A lot of this stuff is is really like causing an issue. So we're doing all this for one-handed usage in general, and there's obviously other other issues as well that they're trying to avoid. But in general, it's for these are workarounds for one-handed use. And it's well, all it's kind of doing is it's adding to the learning curve of devices that were once easy to use. So, you know, before it was like, oh, you just like swipe down here and you get this and you swipe over here and you get that. Now it's like if somebody accidentally like, you know, moves their finger the wrong way, they're in a different app, they're over here, they're over there. Um we have the over scroll now. So I guess I just got one UI on, on this Samsung device. And it, when I scroll down, if I over scroll on some Samsung apps, the whole like kind of top of the screen will become just the title. And then it moves a lot of the UI down to like where I could more easily ex- access it near the bottom of the screen. And that's like, that's helpful and it's nice, but it's just one of those, it's just one of those like things where it's like, if like somebody might get confused by that right away. And so it is adding to that learning curve. Um, and so that, that's sort of where I want to, that's sort of where I want to, where I, I kind of want to base the conversation is like, is, is in general, the question I guess would be is like, where do you think this UX is going? Do you think that there's going to be a big, like, are we going to revert at any point and kind of have a more simple UX UI again, or are people just getting so used to phones and computers and technology that the trend is just going to, you know, be to keep getting, you know, we're kind of at a minimalist stage in, in design, but the usability is getting a little bit more obscure because we're not showing things. So I, a prime example, actually, is up until yesterday, I had the back, the home, and then the multitasking button. Uh, I could still have that, but I didn't like that I had the dark theme on my phone, and then I couldn't have the... um and then I couldn't have like in some apps, it would still be white at the bottom. And I thought that looked weird. So I changed it so that if I swipe up in the middle, uh, it's home. If I swipe up on the right, and this is all at the bottom of the screen. If I swipe up on the right, it's the multitasking. If I swipe on the left, it's back. But to take that even further, I took the helpers away. Now there's, now there's nothing at the bottom of the phone. So I just have to know to do that. And so before people could more easily, if they were jumping in, be like, oh, what's this button do? Now it's like, how do I, how do I do this? 
and and one other example of this before I hand kind of hand it over to Mike to get his idea on where UX is going. On the BlackBerry playbook back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, Mike. You were you texted me and you were like, "My dad's trying to add because he was going to use it as an address book. My dad's trying to add contacts and he can't figure out how to add contacts to this thing." I was like, "What are you talking about? You go to the contacts app and you press add contact. What do you mean?" And I, and to me, it was just second nature because uh, at the time I worked there and I just used playbooks all the time. Um, and he was like, "No, I can't figure this out." And what it was was he had to he had to swipe down from I believe it was specifically the the top right corner. And to me, I was just like, "Oh yeah, just go here, swipe here." And you're like, "Wait, what's that second step?" Like. What did you do? I'm like, I swiped here to open the menu. And you're like, I had no idea that was there. And so, like, that's a learning curve piece where once you know it, you know, you kind of know it. But it's still a learning curve for something that used to be like, oh, I'll press this plus button and then it'll open it up. So that's kind of where I want to base the conversation. Like, what do you think about this UX situation, this UX UI situation? You know, how how do you deal with it currently and where do you kind of think it's going? Yeah, so... I essentially have the exact same interface as you. I have an Asus phone, but they, I guess, took a lot of inspiration uh, or you took a lot of it or like Samsung took a lot of inspiration from somewhere else. We have the same navigation system. So I swipe up from the middle to go home, left uh, to go back, right to multitask. Um, Now I have added on top of that, I have added gestures with a secondary app where I can swipe from the left or the right side of my screen to go back as well. So I don't have to swipe up from the bottom. Uh, That's been kind of more second nature to me, to be honest. Like I like the fact that I can swipe from the sides of the screen as well, uh, rather than just the bottom. But uh, both kind of work for me anyway. So, and I I like the fact that I can enable one and the other together. Um, That's been, that's been my navigation experience. And I've tried a lot of different, other gestures as well this is just on the gesture front but um the google the new google gestures i think are a a step in in uh in a direction that they want to go in the future so what you're saying like what you were saying like if you just remove the navigation at the bottom how are people going to know how to use it well google took it took that to head and they were like well people don't know how to do it so they added a line at the bottom uh, a little line and then they still have like a little uh back button there as well and what you can do with that line is you can swipe up to go home or swipe up to, to do multitasking, tap it to go home. So they're adding like tiered tiered uh, gestures. So it's like still kind of the same interface. It doesn't solve anything. But now people are learning that if you swipe up, you'll go to uh, multitasking. If you tap at the bottom here, you'll go home. So I think what they're going to do next is they're going to remove them and kind of implement a more, you know, non-visible gest- gestures so that their u- the users already know what to do kind of thing. So that, that might be one solution to that problem that you were saying where people don't know how to use it. Uh, the other solution is to, by default, show the buttons at the bottom and then ask the user to disable them uh, when they go into like the settings or whatever. And then they know that the buttons there are like, correspond to the gestures kind of thing. Um, I think that's how Samsung does it. That's how I know how that's how Asus does it. They by default enable the uh, the buttons, I believe, not the gestures. Yeah, um, yeah def- definitely the definitely the old school buttons. Yeah, exactly. So th- that's that's one that's another way of just kind of implementing that. Um, so w- with gestures, I think that's a it's a good step. Uh, I know you were a big fan of them during the BB10 days. Uh, I'm assuming, like I know they're not there yet. They're not in the same state as BB10. Like BB10s were better, in my opinion. Than they are than they are on Android right now and uh, and iOS for that matter. 
Um, but I think we are slowly going to move to that kind of navigation, especially this, like if, if you, if you think about it, like the side navigation that I was talking about, where you can swipe from the sides, uh, that's a more natural grip for me, right? Like when I hold my phone, unless I I'm like supporting it with my pinky under the phone, I can't really reach even the bottom of the phone. Like it, it's, it's tough for me to do the gestures without having to, you know, support the phone with my pinky at the bottom. Uh, I wish that all navigation was done from the sides because that's where my thumb and kind of lands and has the most dexterity when I'm just holding my phone regularly. Uh, and that's something that I haven't seen done too, too much or not at all from any of the manufacturers. I remember there was like pie gestures. This is not any reference to Android pie, but there were like these little gestures that you could kind of program to swipe from the sides and you swipe like, you know, on a diagonal up and do a gesture. I think they were just an add on from uh, rooting your phone. Like you can install it a third-party method of navigation this was a while ago so i'm not 100 sure but essentially that that to me made a lot of sense um so like it's it's a tough one like i have almost as much trouble reaching the top of my phone as i do the very bottom i think the middle of the phone is where i have the most dexterity uh that's where kind of if you're thinking of more of a just a ux experience when you're designing an application, most functionality should be, in my opinion, done, you know, near the bottom, but a little bit up uh, from the from the bottom. So it's not at the very bottom of the phone, but somewhere where there's, you know, th the thumb can reach easily. It, that's where I think navigation, that's where I think uh, any sort of actions on your website should go and stuff like that. What I like about uh, One UI, the, the new Samsung UI that you have, Matt, is that they've moved a lot of stuff to that location. So not the, the extreme bottom, but a little bit above the bottom. And especially like when you pull down the quick settings, I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's now no longer at the very top where it's you know annoying to reach. Uh, it's now more clo like closer to the bottom where you can, you know, you don't have to shift your grip of the phone to reach them at the very top. Um, I think that's a, that's a good solution for little things like quick settings. I think more applications need to implement stuff like that. Um, with the whole bottom bar or bottom menu uh, experience, I, I tried it on Chrome. So I tried your, like the one that you like, the bottom navigation. I actually didn't like it as much as the top navigation. I don't know what it was, but um, I have, I think my, I don't know if my thumb's really small or something, but I have more trouble reaching below like the very bottom of my phone than I do the very top because I, I, I don't really know what that is. So it's a tough one. Again, side is my easiest one to reach, but uh, top and bottom are are definitely the, the challenge. And it, it it is a challenge now that phones are so tall and like, Going from, I remember I was on an iPhone 4 where my thumb could reach literally any section of that screen. You could put navigation wherever the heck you wanted, uh, wherever it was better for, for visual aspects, and I could reach it no problem. Now going to these massive phones, like my phone is, uh, I think, a six-inch screen, but the you know the screen-to-body ratio is pretty big, so it's not the biggest phone out there. Um, the, the the iPhone uh, 10 or the iPhone XS Max is definitely a lot bigger. Uh, I recently compared it and it's like significantly bigger than my phone. I don't know how people use that at all. Like that, that, that to me seems kind of like way too big. I, I can't, uh, I couldn't reach any of the screen pretty much with my thumb. I would, that would be a 100% two hand phone for me. Um, maybe that's okay for some people. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with the, at least the gestures and the navigation side of the whole phone thing. Um, with the, with that being said, the notches, 
I can see posing more of a problem. Now, thankfully, we're moving away from the notch, maybe to a cutout and away from a cutout to like a pop-up camera or something like that. I'm hoping the progression is to just no, no cutout, no, no, nothing but screen on the front. Um, but for now, with the notch there, and talking about PWAs, kind of bringing it back to our PWA topic. Now that with PWAs not having an address bar, you kind you kind of have to address it a tiny bit. Uh, most of the time, the notch will just be the like the left and right side of the notch will just be status icons, but the coloring and stuff, the status, the coloring, you'll have to address a little bit. And sometimes your content does go there and gets popped in. So uh, it's something that I definitely think about and test every once in a while. Um, thankfully, it's not. I don't think it's going to be for an extended period of time, other than the fact that iPhone 10s have tons of notches. Thankfully, Samsung has kind of held out and only did the the cutout, even though the cutout is sort of a notch too, but hopefully they ditch that next year as well. Um, that's kind of where I stand on the whole UI UX of the new generation. Uh, what, what, what's kind of interesting is like, I was just, I was fiddling with my phone intentionally while you were saying that. And you're right. Like I often support the bottom of my phone with, uh, with my pinky because my phone's mm-hmm. rather heavy because there's a, an otter box on it. And so like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable holding it just along the sides, um, especially when I'm walking around. But like you're right, it's like it's like a half moon that doesn't quite go. Like if you're talking about my thumb, I can reach the mid left all the way to like mid on the right, but not quite at the bottom. If that makes sense, it's yeah. like a half circle, like a semicircle. Um, and it'd be good if like I mean that my touch, uh, my edge screen, my edge screen thing where I like pull it out. That's right there. And that's movable too, but that's right there. And so like that kind of makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what the gestures are there. Like if, if they could ever do gestures like that. And what that reminds me of is I remember back when we were in college, you, I think it was you that had the, the one tablet and you were showing me that you used to use like, instead of having like a Navicon for the, for, I think it was the browser at the time on your Samsung tablet, you used to have like a dot that you could just move around wherever. And you would like, it would be like the Navicon you could just it was like a circle kind of like a speech bubble head on uh, messenger by, on de- by default yeah. but it was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. navicon you would just move it and you'd be like oh let's move it to the right tap here oh i'll move it to the left because it's in the way and, I, and then yeah. you all your controls are right there and they're collapsible that's that's kind of an interesting potential solution um one other thing i did want to mention is that yes there are there, there are normally the old school buttons on the one ui and when i turned them off and went for gestures there is normally three lines one for home one mm-hmm. for back one for um the multitasking i turn those off because i know what i'm doing um so like i do like the fact that i have that little bottom of the screen now um i have one small ux problem and that is that my finger keeps catching the edges of my screen protector which is kind of annoying uh Mm because it's along the edges because this phone is like curved sides uh so Mm -hmm. that's kind of annoying um i might maybe i'll get like a glass screen protector that wraps the whole thing a little better in the future but um but like i kind of get that it's (sighs) It, it one of my issues i think with this whole thing is is like we are i i question i question the the need for it so like for example i use the microsoft launcher and if i grab the bottom bar where all like the quick apps are and i pull up it pulls up like another menu it pulls up a menu here the thing is is like if i go just like a couple millimeters down below and swipe up that's also my home button now and mm-hmm. so and i have two gestures at the bottom so like i'm still really crowded at the bottom and i'm curious as to whether 
getting rid of the bezels was really worth it. Like I, I remember when bezels like weren't really that big of a deal. And I remember this phone had a really good, like it's, it, this is an S eight plus, And I thought it had a really good screen to screen to body ratio. And like, n- it seemed like tech reviewers overnight kind of like turned on bezels and was like, Oh, this is, this looks like a phone from 20, 2017. Like how dare this thing have bezels? And I was like, mm. well, how big, like, what are you doing on that phone? Like, I don't know. Like my mm-hmm. TV has big bezels and I didn't think, too much about that like i don't know it's it's a weird like i'm I'm questioning what we're gaining for the sacrifice like the buttons i don't think were really being less i don't think the buttons were being less um ux friendly at the same time i don't know whether these gestures are better actually like me swiping up in the middle and that is easy but it's at another millisecond every time i do it i don't really know because instead of a tap, I have to like hit and swipe, and sometimes it doesn't catch it, right? So I'm wondering whether what the benefit of it really is. Like I'm, I'm looking here, like I have a key two right in front of me, like a BlackBerry key two. Now this thing has some has a small screen. This thing does not have a good <laughs> like screen to body ratio. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. But honestly, like, and I'm not like uh, I worked at BlackBerry, so like I know maybe some bias in there. But ser- like seriously speaking, now I use this thing to like post on social media. I used it for like several months as my like main phone. And like, I think I'm going to just kind of swap back and forth. Cause I really do like this phone. Cause I could type like a motherfucker on this thing. And this phone is like small. It's, it's small. The screen is even smaller. Cause like the body ratio isn't that great. And obviously there's a physical keyboard on this thing. Now, some people can't type in a physical keyboard, whatever I can. So that whole bottom of the screen there, or that whole bottom of the front of the phone is like really useful for me. Cause it's a keyboard, but this screen has at the bottom of it has like the the it's like hard they're hardware buttons essentially right they're not actually buttons but they're built into like the bezel like the home the back and the like the thing it's not it's not a part of the screen i don't know i don't know if that's clear but it they're not they're not a part of the screen they're like they're permanent navigation buttons at the bottom i can reach the top the sides the back and like with a little bit of shimmying i can reach like the you know the 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 top right let's say because i'm holding it my left hand right now the top right of the screen or like the other stuff. But like this phone is so light and it's so small. I can just like bounce around my hand and I feel confident holding it. And this is with a case and a glass screen protector on it. And so what I'm questioning is, is like, it, like really, if we were going somewhere and like we were doing some sort of business thing, we we're going to go to like some conference. This S, this S8 Plus, it's a great phone. You know, you can watch videos on it and that's really great. And it sounds good and it looks good and all that stuff. Like, you know, it's a good phone. But this key too has be- way better battery life. Now I know that's not a part of this thing, but as a side thing has way better battery life, but this thing is so much more productive. Like there's no weird gestures. There's no bullshit. There's none of that. It's just like, bang, type out an email and you're done. Bang, do this, do that. But if, but what I'm trying to get at is this is older school UX. These are physical keys for a keyboard. These are hardware capacitive buttons for the navigation at the bottom. This is a smaller screen. This, you know, the camera is passable, but not amazing. But, and this is a smaller device, like a much smaller device. So this phone, like, you know, biases, you know, I've already said my potential biases, but seriously talking, this is a way more productive phone. If you gave this to me and was like, or if you gave me both the SA plus here and the, the key two, and be like, okay, you need to like write up, uh, write up the show notes. I do choose the key to every single time, every, every single time. Like it is, it is much 
it's it's built for productivity and so i'm curious as to whether we are like oh we're moving toward these like these these strange gestures and that type of thing just be but but it's not because of like because obviously the the bb10 ones are rather productive but the bb10 phones were small the blackberry 10 phones were small we're now moving to gestures because the phones are too big for our, us mm-hmm. to hold like like the actual ux of the size of the phone is is poor now it is it, it's you know it's lost some points it's not doing that great anymore it's not as streamlined it's not as nice as it once was you know some people might be like oh it's bad to watch a video on this the screen's not as bright the screen's that the screen's this yeah but if i'm if i'm typing out if i'm typing out tweets taking real quick photos for social media because they're compressed anyway if I'm typing out stuff like 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 typing out full uh like show notes, let's say if I'm typing out full show notes, anything like that, anything like that, this phone with all this old school technology attached to it is significantly more UX friendly. So I'm curious as to now how far have we moved away from the old school just for the sake of being new? Like, how often are you watching a YouTube video on your phone? I've I've I had this conversation the other day. Some people, they'll, uh, some of my friends will say, like, I'll have a TV in front of me, and I won't watch Netflix on that, I'll watch it on my phone. Why the hell? Like, maybe I'm an old man, and this comes up a lot. Maybe I'm an old man, and be like, no, I watch movies on my TV. Maybe that's, like, an old man thing now. But, I don't know, like, <laughs> like, this is a communication device, you know, the essay and this is a communication device. At the end of the day, I mean, if I need you know, real good battery life and all that. I'm choosing this thing. I watch a fair bit of, of, uh, YouTube and that type of thing right now. And so like, I have my SA plus here, but like, I have both these phones with me almost all the time because they both like represent a a piece of the market. And I, but I, I don't think, I don't think there's a happy medium there. And I think that that's maybe why, you know, the key two and the key one, even that's how they're, you know, still sticking around. That's how they're flourishing. All these, all these, again, the old man coming through me here, but all these kids today are being like, Oh, like, you know, I want to watch YouTube or like, I want to do Snapchat. Like, Oh, that camera's bad. It's this, it's that. But for us, like we're running a business here. How much faster is it for me to awkwardly stumble through autocorrect? Or I don't even have autocorrect on, on my key two. And I'll just rip through. I can walk and not look at the keyboard and rip through a, rip through a comment. Like if I'm responding to a user on Instagram, I can just rip through that or there's key shortcuts and I can quickly jump through the apps. So like how far have we, have we fallen just for a bigger screen and how much UX did we gain for that? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, what do you watch a lot of video content on your phone? Uh, yeah, I would say no, maybe not, maybe not a ton, but I definitely watch, uh, watch enough i would say on my phone okay so let me let me address it let me um let me address what you just said uh i mostly agree with you in the fact that a a smaller phone would make me much more productive on my phone right um i think that the larger phones are a marketing thing like i think it's just way more way easier to market these nice like you know large slabs of pure glass and with no bezels like that's it appeals to you when you see it on on TV or on on an online ad or something like that. It'll appeal to me a lot more when I see a phone without any bezels than compared to something like the BlackBerry Key One uh, or even not a BlackBerry Key One. Let's say like an old Sony phone or something like that doesn't have a keyboard. Um, 
it'll, it'll appeal more to me. And that's why I think it went in that direction. I think that it's purely based on the fact that they can sell those easier to people that just, you know, just go based on marketing, which is a majority of people buying phones. It's more aesthetically uh, pleasing. Exactly. It's more aesthetically pleasing, therefore easier to sell. That's it. Like, that's literally the reason that it's available. I don't think it, it – no one has any intention of making a phone more productive for the sake of making it more productive, and that's it. Um, I think you're right. Like, if I had – like, a smaller phone is way easier to use UX-wise. I don't have to use it with two hands, stuff like that. Like, I can easily use it with one hand. Uh, I don't – like, I think the typing thing, I'll I'll push back on that because – I'm a faster typer without a keyboard. I'm faster on glass and on uh, on keys. And I think in, another thing is I, I honestly like, and I fully believe this, a fast, like a really good on, on-screen keyboard typer versus the best uh, keyboard without autocorrect typer phones, uh, the, the on-screen keyboard typer will win every time just because of autocorrect and just because of the the AI that went into developing all those algorithms. And if someone types, you know, not me, I'm not the best typer because I don't really type that much on my phone, but someone that like, you know, types up emails and stuff like that on a daily will be significantly faster because they don't, there's no press down. There's nothing. It's all, it is all second nature to them as well because of the, because of the autocorrect, like they don't have to hit the exact same area every time because of the AI and all that. So they don't really have to even to look at the phone. I've seen it before. I've seen people typing on these phones without on-screen keyboards. But again, I think it, it is a preference thing. Like you like the tactile feeling a lot. Not a lot, but there is a portion of the market that does like the tactile feeling. Uh, I know Mr. Mobile uh, Mr. Mobile on YouTube still likes the tactile feeling um, and stuff like that. I, I don't think it's a speed thing, it, in my honest opinion. Uh, I don't think it's a usability. like Because when you're typing, you're mostly using two hands anyway. So it doesn't matter how big your phone is. Um, like as long as your you know your thumbs can reach halfway along, across the screen, you're good. Uh, so th- that that would be the only thing I would push back on on you about. I think it's a pure like the keyboard thing is a pure preference rather than productivity aspect of it. Um, but everything else, the smaller screen, like a smaller screen for me would definitely make me faster at using the phone. There's no doubt about that, and uh, I wouldn't exactly be opposed to it on my next phone to have a smaller screen. Because even though I do watch YouTube videos and I watch Netflix and stuff like that sometimes on my phone, uh, it's not a majority of what I do on it. Like you said, like I mostly do productivity-based and news-based reading and stuff like that, which I can do on a on a slightly smaller screen. Like instead of six, five-inch would be still okay by, for me. Anything smaller than that might be a little bit excessive, like a little bit too small. Like the key one probably isn't for me anyway because I'm not a physical keyboard typer regardless but i think something similar to the key one's form factor with the screen all the way down might be something i would be interested in um bezels on on the topic of bezels i don't mind bezels personally i think i'd rather have bezels and nice uh speakers than no bezels and really crappy speakers because i do use the speakers quite often on my phone like when i'm just listening to music i'll sometimes throw it on my phone uh when i'm in the kitchen i'll sometimes throw music on my phone or podcast or something like that's like a feature I value again, preference thing. So I do like, um, I, I, you know, I'd rather have good speakers than no bezels at all, but I do see the appeal. Like when I look at a phone that has no bezels at all, um, if you look at some of the new vivo phones out there, like I wouldn't buy one of those, but like, it just looks really cool. And I, I understand the marketing aspect of it because 
it makes you want it based on the fact that look look at this it has no like it's like you're especially when you're using the camera or something and you point it out there it's like you're it's part of the picture kind of, i don't know it's it's hard to explain but it's it's a cool futuristic feeling having zero bezels on your smartphone um and i think that's where it's going regardless of what you and i have to say just because of the sell through on it but on that note uh another ux thing that's coming up soon is going to be uh folding phones and I think that's a, but but to be fair, I think that's a happy medium for you, Matt, because if you've seen the Samsung folding phone, now barring the whole uh, crease controversy and the fact that it has a plastic screen on the inside and stuff like that, disregard that for now because that's generation one, maybe they'll fix it in the future. But essentially what it is, is a small screen on the front and then you fold it out to a large screen on the inside. So you could use it as a small, it's a nice, small, thin, it's a nice, small screen where you can reach it all with your thumb. So productivity wise, it's great. And then when you're using multimedia, you can fold it out and then, you know, watch a large, on a large screen, any, any YouTube videos, but you'll do, you won't like, I see myself using that large screen quite not often, but when I do, I'll be using, like, I'll be happy I'm using it kind of thing. Because I'll be mostly using the small screen to do any sort of messaging, to do any sort of, you know, checking news and stuff like that. Like, I don't see myself unfolding the phone to check, to quickly check a messaging app. So it kind of makes sense to me. I I, I personally see it as a, a big factor, like a big portion of the of the market in the future. Right now, I don't think it's a viable thing at all because of the screen technology. I don't, uh, plastic screens just feel just like bad they crease like the the new samsung phone has been shown uh if if you know if you have it closed for a while the plastic will crease just because physics um and right now we don't have anything like bendable like that kind of bendable glass yet uh apparently it's being worked on but until bendable glass is a thing I don't think I'm interested in a folding phone I don't want a plastic screen that I have to pay $2000 for well this this Hopefully is a new invention right Exactly. It's a new invention. It's cool that they're doing it. I'm happy that they're doing it. No way I'm going to be a first, like a first generation buyer um, with the prices that they're putting out there and the features that it has. But um, I could definitely see it being a big portion of the market in the future if they figure out all the little kinks because of the whole like productivity and entertainment aspect of it. It would be something I would 100% buy. Like it would be it would be at an affordable price to, if it was at affordable price tag comparative to my phones now. Um and it had the option of being, you know, productive and multimedia intensive at the same time. It's a no brainer for me because like that's two things that I really want. And I don't want to have to carry around two devices to accomplish it. Yeah, I think I think that I think you're right. Like, because the, the foldable thing is like a really good point. It's like it's like almost like two devices. Like right now I was saying yep. like this is why I have these both devices here. And like that's the only real like that is the only real happy medium is to essentially have two devices in one. Uh, once they figure out all the kinks, of course. But that'll be interesting. I I I saw like concepts for people who had like a watch, and then they like answered everything on the watch, and then they like pulled the screen out, like it was like a like they unfolded yeah. the watch. However, that would work, yeah. and then it became I, like I a don't phone. Know if I like that. Uh, maybe. I don't know. We might we might become like uh, the sci-fi guys who have like real big like armbands. Yeah, have you seen the new the Nubia watch? It's out already. Like or like all the reviews are coming out like right now. Um, I haven't. No, it's 
Yeah, so if you if you take a look at the new Nubia watch, it's 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 essentially that. It's a big old wrist like it's a big wrap around like foldable screen that's on your wrist. Um but it's like really thin like it, I don't know. It, it to me it just seems like bad at both things. It's bad at being a watch and it's bad at being a phone and it's like it's just this big big screen. It looks cool on your wrist cuz it's like a futuristic, you know, foldable screen on your wrist. Um, with the capabilities of a phone, but I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's too, maybe if it was wider, but then it would look weird on your wrist. I, I, I can't, I can't personally see a phone wrapping phone working yet. The thing is, is, is also, is it's like, we're at a point where the foldable displays are a new invention and then you're trying to do a, a new form factor. So you're yeah. you're you got like a double whammy there where you're fighting the technology and you're fighting the form factor to get usability. So I mean maybe maybe in the future we'll see something like that. Like I I, I struggle with like I don't even think that watches are really doing that well. Like I like they aren't really. Like they're not they're not a multi, you know, billion dollar business as far as I'm mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware or at the very least they're certainly not as uh, not even close to being as popular and as money making as smartphones. Um so at that point, it's sort of like, is wearable dead as well, right? Like, you have that concern, whereas it's not, maybe it's not dead necessarily, because I, I mean, I have a, I'm wearing a watch right now, but is it, is it just, is it going to be more of a, just a, just a product category, not something real big, you know, smartphones blew up, but maybe that's not it, you know, because I, I, Windows tablets, for example, are a thing, but I don't think Windows tablets are blowing up and going crazy, like the Surface is doing well probably the best in the space as far as I'm aware. But for the most part, people will still go like, oh, my laptop broke. I'm going to go buy a new one. They don't go, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to change my form factor, right? And so yep. they had, you know, they they had a flip phone back in the day, which then iterated into a smartphone eventually. And then they're just going to keep going with the smartphones. So I think a lot of it has to do with maybe it's marketing. Uh, maybe it's something like that. Who knows? Because I was talking to... I was talking to uh, to a buddy the other, or today and and uh, across the last couple of days just via text and we were discussing like he was saying like oh it's really good that like Windows and stuff is more open source and that type of thing and I understand that's unrelated to this but what it what I pointed out was I said yeah it's really great and they're getting praise from the tech guys I said the general populace has no freaking idea what's going on and the general populace is where the buying forces like the general populace has no no clue what um why Microsoft is going more into the services with Xbox Live, for example, their service going across different things. People don't really understand that. And the same would be with this, with this, uh, or the same was with tablets. I remember people kept saying like, oh, it's a stupid, like $700 serving tray. I remember that being a joke and being like, who wants just a screen? Like, what the hell is this? You know, so right now it's like, the foldable screen isn't maybe that outrageous because people remember, you know, foldable phones like the flip phones, but it's still something where people will be like, oh, like, why would I want that? Or like, why do I want a screen on my wrist when I have a screen in my pocket? Like the the general populace doesn't see the world as the people who as the same as people who are techies or people who read tech news. They just, you know, they, 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 they're not informed and they don't need to be right. They're probably informed in something else. So the general populace's buying power is where a lot of this will go. And the same comes down to PWAs as well. If the general populace is going to continue to have the mentality of we want to download things from a, from the Play Store or we want to download things from you know the App Store, depending on platform, then PWAs have to either 
go away or they have to, you know, go big into the app stores, you know, Google Play and the app, and literally the app store. Um, that would be the ultimate. That's like the that's the problem with a lot of these UX UI invention conversations as well is because. It's like, oh, well, Samsung, why don't they just do this? It's like, that's really great for techies. But like other people who don't use their phone that extensively will be like, why the hell would I do that? They, a lot of people will say, why the hell would you use a BlackBerry today? Right. The trend, like you said, it's aesthetically pleasing to go with, you know, the, the a Samsung, you know, essentially a glass slab. Right. And it looks really nice and, you know, has a little like animation around the little cutout for their camera. And it's all aesthetically, you know, pleasing and everything. But someone like me, I go, holy crap, that thing has the hub. You know, I can type fast on that thing. Like, I want to type fast. But a lot of people don't, don't care about that. They, they, that's the secondary thing. Camera, maybe, you know, that would be something that a non-techie would look at. But it, it a lot of this stuff is super interesting. A lot of people won't even know um, what you one UI is trying to do, probably. If people are mm-hmm. coming from an older Samsung device that isn't getting one UI and then they go and they, you know, they upgrade, maybe they've had the same phone for four or five years, they go upgrade now and they get one UI on there. They're not going to, they're probably not going to understand why the, the whole top of the screen is a big title. And I guarantee that's been a, a conversation among people where they're like, I don't understand this stupid thing. It looks dumb. Why is there, why is there just a big title? Cause it doesn't look amazing, but it's for usability, but they don't get it even though they're using it. Right. And so it's, it's hard mm-hmm. for these manufacturers, I think to to communicate that to people who who aren't techies because you and I, for example, are not into cars. I guarantee you some guys like, well, this can go faster. You'd be like, yeah, but does it go as fast as the speed limits? Like, is it fast enough to go on the highway? Yeah. Okay. So why do I want it to go faster? Like, what's the point? Like, why would I spend a thousand dollars? But to the car guy, he's like, oh, it does this. It does that. It, it's better for this. It does this. And we're like, okay. And your point is, you know, you know what I mean? Like we would look as, we would look as dumbfounded to the car guy as they would look to us where they're like, dude, it's a, it's a phone. Like I make phone calls. Really? Yeah. So no, that's, that's a good analogy. Cause like, it, it, I don't know, this UX stuff is getting really complicated. And I think the, I think, I think there's probably going to be a niche that comes out. I mean, the Blackberry is already, the Blackberry is already a niche, but I think there might be a niche of small phones that come out. And I think there's going to be people that just start flocking to these niches. Maybe, who knows? I think it's an exciting time. I'm not being cynical. It's an exciting time. There's a lot of new technologies, a lot of new things, and I think that I would personally, once it's not once it's not plastic, I think I would probably go to the to the foldable phone. Yep. Because maybe there'd be a physical keyboard under there, right? <laughs> That'd be nice for me. <laughs> <wish. Frick>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that's all the comments I have. Uh, I don't know whether you want to, whether you have anything else to say, or whether you want to run the old conclusion. Let's wrap her up. Alrighty, well, thank you for listening, and make sure that you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials, which is at HTML All the Things, which is on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter, which is at HTML Everything. We're on Medium, and we're on GitHub. And remember, we are also on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash HTML All the Things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off.